IPOs. Um, number of IPOs is down about 20% so far. It seems that these companies that are delisting or being forced to delist from the US um, are not choosing to come to Hong Kong. They seem to be going to Shanghai instead. Why is that? I think it's mainly driven by the market uh, sentiment because if you list in Hong Kong, you want to have a higher valuation. So, uh, given the volatile situation, you may uh, 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 reschedule your listing plan. It's a, I think it's a normal decision. Okay, well, thank you all very much. Have a very happy Christmas. You heard there uh, Kenny Wen, who's wealth management strategist at Everbright Sun Ankai. Mark Michelson, who's chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and then our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let me give you an update on the markets for the final time this morning. In Australia, the SX200 still flat. Nikkei 225 slipping a little bit from its earlier highs, uh, up just 0.1% now. Uh, the Cosby is up about half a percent. It looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to do all right, though, at the open, adding about 250 points. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $74 a barrel. Gold is at $1,790 an ounce. And that's it for me. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3. Back chats coming up with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton in just a moment. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, sunny intervals during the day with a maximum temperature of around 21 degrees. There's going to be a few rain patches in the next couple of days and then the weather will become cold early next week and temperatures are going to fall below 12 degrees. Right now the temperature is 18 degrees and it's 82% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. The elderly services director of an NGO partnering with the Jockey Club says the free phone plan will help bridge the digital divide and allow recipients to better connect with society and socialize with friends. Tammy Leung from the Aberdeen Kai Fong Welfare Association said that the pandemic has affected a lot of elderly people and their ability to go out. Um, because they, um, during the uh, COVID-19 period, they did not have the mobile uh, smartphone. So their social life will be affected. When they get on the, the project, they are all excited. Health authorities have announced that they're stepping up testing requirements at quarantine hotels after genome tests confirmed that eight travelers who had arrived on Sunday and Monday are carrying the Omicron COVID variant. Natalie Ching has details. Hong Kong has now confirmed a total of 27 imported cases of the Omicron variant, and officials are eager to prevent any community transmission. The government has told quarantine hotels to step up infection control measures. It says that if an Omicron case is found at a quarantine hotel, people staying in rooms adjacent to and opposite that of the patient will be told to get tested for COVID-19 daily for seven days. If the guests in those rooms have completed quarantine and checked out, they will be subject to seven more days of testing in the community and be asked to avoid gatherings. Hotels have also been reminded of the need to enhance ventilation and disinfect their rooms thoroughly. Rescuers reaching islands in the Philippines cut off by last week's strong typhoon have discovered scores more dead and flattened villages. It's now becoming clear that Typhoon Rai has devastated nine islands in the southern and central Philippines. Pepe Dianco, a Filipino filmmaker, was on one of the worst affected islands, Shergao, when the storm hit. He says there's widespread devastation. 
there is desperate need for water, clean water and food apart from, from shelter. And I think a fourth would be communications because for as long as comms are down, it will be hard to have efficient um, relief efforts. Uh, the towns north of Shargao are impassable to vehicles. Uh, last I heard because of damage to the road. Uh, I've heard stories of people already beginning to write SOS signs on the road so that people from the air can see them. I have heard some stories of looting and, you know, people are really desperate to get what they need, which is clean water and food. China says it has imposed sanctions on four U.S. nationals in what it says is a reciprocal countermeasure to Washington's earlier sanctions against four mainland officials over Xinjiang issues. Foreign Ministry spokesman Xiao Lijian says the four are prohibited from entering China, including Hong Kong and Macau. Their properties in China are frozen, and they'll be banned from doing business with Chinese citizens and institutions. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. Today we're talking about COVID-19 and the Pavilion Farm residential development in Taiwan. The UK has been added to Hong Kong's highest risk countries a week after it was found to be the source of two imported Omicron cases. But with the latest changes to quarantine rules here, residents returning from Britain and other countries in the highest risk category will have their quarantine at Penny Space slashed from seven days to four before being transferred to designated hotels for the remaining 17 days of quarantine. At the same time, government staff who aren't vaccinated will need to get tested every three days instead of seven as authorities step up pressure on civil servants to get jabbed. What do you think of these changes with the most Omicron cases imported? How sustainable are our quarantine measures? At 9.15am, we'll look at the Pavilion Farm residential development in Taiwan after concrete samples have failed testing. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on Alt. RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 23388266. To start our discussion, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio, epidemiologist Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong and Dr. Alvin Chan, the co-chairman of the Advisory Committee of Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. And we will um, hopefully also be joined on the line later by Dr. Raymond Liang, a member of the Government's Advisory Committee on COVID-19 Vaccines. Good morning to uh, all of you and Mm. welcome to Backchat. Um, Let's start with you, Professor Cowling. Um, Looking at the Omicron coronavirus situation in the UK, it's not really surprising, is it, that uh, Hong Kong has finally put uh, it in the uh, highest risk category? Yeah, I think they talked about this a week ago. Uh, so it's not a surprise that it has changed. But instead of it being 7 plus 14, it's now changed to 4 plus 17. Um, and that's going to have disrupted some people's travel plans because maybe they had a 21-day booking and then they changed it to, to something else and and, uh, and so on. But anyway, it, it does make sense to use a special purpose-built facility for on-arrival quarantine. And I said this a long time ago, actually, probably on this show, it makes sense to have a, a purpose-built facility. But I think Penny's Bay isn't quite big enough for all the people that are going to be arriving into Hong Kong over the holiday period and into the coming six months, even even the coming years, because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So I really still think it would be a, a real benefit to Hong Kong to have a large purpose-built facility for on-arrival quarantines. Penny's Bay was built for close contact quarantine. And if we were to have a community outbreak now, we'd have trouble quarantining all the close contacts 
because Penny's Bay is occupied by all the travellers. Uh, so so I, I think a priority would now be to start construction on a purpose-built arrival facility, where instead of it being 4 plus 17, it could just be 14 days in the purpose-built facility. You don't need the final th- th- third week of quarantine because that's only catching people that caught infection in quarantine anyway. So if you can have a purpose-built facility, you you eliminate the within-hotel transmission and 14 days is more than enough. But where can we build that uh, facility? Do we have room for that? We have a lot of spare land in Hong Kong, so I'm sure there must be space somewhere near Penny's Bay uh, where it, an expansion of Penny's Bay effectively could be constructed. Uh, I remember last week on Backchat, uh, you expressed concern uh, that there wouldn't be enough space at Penny's Bay uh, Quarantine Centre if the UK was added to Hong Kong's highest risk category. You, you seem like uh, you still have that concern. So so does that mean uh, you think uh, shortening the compulsory quarantine there from seven days to four is uh, not enough to solve the uh, um, space problem? Well, in terms of infection control, having four days in Penny's Bay is better than no days in Penny's Bay. Uh, but seven days would be even better than that. And, and ultimately, uh, the, the entire quarantine period there would, would be ideal. But at the same time, we've also got to remember there's other risks. There's now the risk of transfer. So we have the minibus taking passengers to Penny's Bay on day, day uh, one when they arrive. And then also now another minibus taking them to their quarantine hotel on day four or five uh which is a risk and the the minibus driver if there is a case on the on that minibus could be exposed and then could take infection into community so uh, it's really nice if quarantine hotels can be a, a closed system that once you enter the hotel you're there and and uh there's no other exposure risk for the for the next uh, 14 or 21 days and so that yeah, yeah. how big of a risk is it of transmission uh that's unclear but the, the government have said before they don't like any risks, and so this is definitely greater than zero risk. But I, I would say it's still a small risk, but uh, that still one, one imported case into the community that sparks an outbreak could, could cause havoc in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, let's now bring in uh, Dr. Alvin Chan. Uh, what do you mm. think of the decision to uh, shorten uh, the quarantine period at Penny's Bay? Yes, I think it is a sensible move uh, to have shortened the um, number of days in uh, the uh, Penny Bay's um, quarantined uh, residential uh, area. But then I totally agree that it will be definitely insufficient to cater for the uh, number of um, citizens coming back uh, from uh, overseas places uh, like UK, where many of our students have been studying there, and many of our citizens will be returning from UK or Europe or USA to have the Christmas seasons back in Hong Kong. So I do think that uh, we need to construct immediately new places for uh, quarantine uh, purpose because this uh, pandemic is not to stop (laughs) anything soon. And in fact, I would uh, hope that the government will have a clear plan of what they are going to construct, say, uh, they should cater for the needs for the young parents and the children, not to separate the children from the parents when they need to be quarantined in Hong Kong, when they are coming back. Uh, in the future, even uh, non-citizens, they are going to coming to Hong Kong, they might come with their children or small children who are not yet uh, vaccinated. And in fact, uh, I think uh, it is quite inhuman if the children are to be separated from the parents. But nowadays, of course, uh, in the present uh, moment, uh, it is quite difficult to deal with this. If children uh, really will come back to Hong Kong and they are not vaccinated and they need to be quarantined, and if they are separated from the parents, uh, I don't think that is anything good. 
Right. So, so both of you have suggested a, a purpose-built uh, quarantine facility. Do you see um, any um, good uh, location for that, possibly? Well, I, I am not from the government. I think they should have a clear plan of what lands that could be used for this purpose in Hong Kong. Definitely, we have only used up to uh, less than 20% of our of a land here in Hong Kong. And of course, we have to balance the needs of the environmental protection and the green areas, etc. But still, there are many places that uh, I think that, say, uh, northern uh, Lantau in the New Territories, there are a lot of places that the government could uh, liaise and negotiate with the de- developers or the uh, rural area, the, the, the um, uh, property owners there. Right. And uh, um, what about um, you, Dr. Cowling, and Professor Cowling? What's your, what's your, do you have any idea? Like, a, um, it seems like a Dr. Chan here is suggesting maybe Lantau is a, is a good location for this purpose-built uh, facility. Well, what's there is plenty of land around Penny's Bay and Sunny Bay, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I, one of the things I would add is that for, for a purpose-built facility, ideally, and I think this is what they've done in the mainland, ideally the staff would also live on site. Um, and so you have the minibus drivers that pick people up from the airport and take them to the site. They live on site. The people who staff the hotel, who clean the rooms, who cook the food, everything, all live on site. And they themselves have to do quarantine before they go back to the community. That's tough. But that's the reality of quarantine in, in the new world for COVID and, and a zero COVID approach. Um, and to make it sustainable, you really have to make it watertight. Um, so I think that that's part of the strategy on the mainland. And if we want to make zero COVID sustainable, more sustainable than Hong Kong, have fewer periods of outbreaks and longer periods with zero cases, that would be one way to achieve that. Uh, and uh, all these uh, changes uh, comes as uh, the government is planning to expand its uh, booster shot program next month uh, to people who have received the BioNTech vaccine. Um, what do you what do you think? I mean, do you think uh, um, people should uh, get their booster shots as, as soon as possible or, or wait a while? Well, so Avan can also comment, but I, my, my own advice would be if you're planning to travel, certainly I would recommend you to get a booster shot before you travel. Uh, if you are um, an, an older adult or you've got underlying medical conditions facing a higher risk of COVID, uh, I would suggest you to consider getting a booster shot because if we do have an outbreak of COVID in the community, these groups will be the highest risk of severe COVID. Um, others, I think it's up to the personal decision. I think, <clears throat> yeah, this is Elvin. I think it is a necessary thing to do uh, to get the booster dose, uh, in fact, uh, because uh, all the data has shown that the Omicron could really um, um, escape from the testing and also the protection from the even the beyond tech two doses. The protection could drop from 80% to 33%. And uh, so but uh, all the data has shown that uh, at this moment, a third dose could really effectively protect the um, individual from severe infections, at least. And even for the milder infection, it is uh, also protective. And uh, they also said so the same thing for the killed uh, virus vaccines. And I think uh, for for the protection of the elderly 
group over 80. Now, it's still only about 20% of our populations uh, vaccinated. And that is totally uh, inadequate and made them very vulnerable. If some uh, Omicron variants had really come into the community and have the community spread. And uh, also for the children, because as a pediatrician, I already had got many uh, studies uh, available that uh, now, in fact, um, many children get infected. Uh, in fact, uh, because the bulk of the population in the adult uh, world, they are vaccinated. Uh, although they are not yet uh, adequate for protection from Omicron, just for two doses. But now people are getting the third doses, but they are only the adults. For the children, now they make up 10, over 25% of the uh, infected mass uh, of, of the people. So many children could be infected now. And uh, when they're infected, a few could get very severe. And also they could spread to the uh, elderly that um, they, they, they are in contact. So I think it is a strategy, strategy that the government should promote uh, and campaign for third doses for those who are eligible and uh, to extend the uh, scope of vaccination as soon as possible to the uh, children uh, down to the group of uh, year five, age of five or above. But for people who uh, did receive uh, two shots of BioNTech, do you think uh, they should receive a, a, a booster shot of uh, BioNTech as well or, or is it necessary or, or would you support mixing vaccines? I think mixing vaccine now is, um, you know, uh, agreed upon uh, by most of the uh, authorities. Even the WHO now also had changed their mind and agree that booster doses uh, or even the vaccination program, they could be made of uh, uh, mixing uh, different uh, vaccines of different platforms. And as far as we know, uh, even the um, uh, killed uh, virus vaccines are very good in fact, uh, for the cellular immunity, that is the T cell that could protect uh, people from severe infection. And uh, so I think if, even though the neuro neutralizing antibody level is not enough, uh, probably for the acute uh, virus vaccine, even after two doses against uh, Omicron, then they still could protect them from severe infection. Then I, I think, uh, of course, uh, it is not really um, uh, from the scientific point of view, we don't have enough data to show the mixing vaccines uh, from uh, the mRNA type of vaccine to the acute uh, virus vaccine. Uh, the reverse, we have a lot of um, uh, data. That is, having the two doses of killed virus vaccine and then they have the booster as the um, uh, mRNA uh, vaccine. Uh, that's the, uh, we have a lot of support from the data already. Talking of data, Professor Cowling, um, we've had Omicron now for nearly four weeks. Um, we first heard from South Africa that it was a weaker strain. Uh, what, what's the, but then now that's gone quiet and doesn't seem to be any scientific support for that argument. What's your impression? So there, there's two issues. One issue is for the virus itself, does it have any inherently 
lower severity than maybe the Delta variant. And the second question is, how severe is Omicron in a population that's got a particular level of immunity? So what's clear from South Africa is the latter, that Omicron has a very low level of severity in a population with a high degree of immunity. We've seen case numbers skyrocket in South Africa, but very few people hospitalized because of COVID. Quite a number of people hospitalized with COVID. So they're tested in hospital. uh, They've gone in hospital for other reasons, tested, and they turn out they do have Omicron. Very few people hospitalized because of Omicron. But that's in the context of a high level of immunity. And is the immunity because of vaccination or something? No, in in South Africa, it's largely because of natural infections in the past two years. The the vaccine coverage is very low in South Africa, actually. I think it's 25%. So so in the UK, we're now waiting to see what happens with the the skyrocketing cases. Is that going to translate into uh, excess of hospitalizations? So far, doesn't seem to have. But it's still early days because we know that it takes a week or two after infections before people develop severe illness. Even if it seems mild at first, it can turn severe a week or two into the illness. And so I, I, I'm reluctant to say now what, what the severity is going to be like in the UK. But it's a, it's a big concern because of the skyrocketing numbers. Even if the severity is lower, which, which it looks like it is, still with so many more cases, you could still have a a greater impact of Omicron than Delta. And for somewhere like Hong Kong, where we don't have the same level of immunity as they've got in the UK, because our vaccine coverage is comparable, but we haven't had nearly as many infections as they've had in the UK. And of course, as Dr. Chan mentioned, the elderly vaccine coverage here is very low. Omicron could could cause very serious impact here in Hong Kong if it was to, to spread. Last Wednesday, the UK changed the rules in a sort of slight but significant way. And they said if you'd been in contact with somebody who has uh, COVID or that someone in your house had it, you no longer had to isolate. You just had to take a lateral flow test every three days, three days, I think. Mm. Uh, That seemed to me to be a game changer as if the UK had almost admitted defeat, frankly. Well, I, I don't know if it's defeat, but I think that, that, that uh, all countries are looking for when the end of the pandemic is, is going to be. And in my opinion, that the pandemic for an individual country, the pandemic ends when they no longer have public health measures in place. They have maybe individuals have, have behaviours to protect themselves, but the government no longer has measures. And this is one example of a government relaxing a measure, um, maybe anticipating that Omicron is going to be the last uh, the last stage of the pandemic. And when Omicron's over, they're going to relax their other public health measures and declare an end to the pandemic in the UK. So it could be a tough winter, but uh, they're, they're already looking ahead to think about which public health measures to to start relaxing sooner because all these public health measures have community impact. And then uh, over the over the coming month, maybe we'll see other measures gradually relaxed as well. All right. Uh, we're now joined on the line by uh, Dr. Raymond Liang, a, a member of uh, the Government's Advisory Committee on COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, welcome to the program, and Dr. Liang. Hello, good morning. Hello. Good morning and welcome to the program. Um, so far, we've been talking about uh, the Omicron situation in uh, the UK and in Europe and uh, also about uh, the government's uh, plan to expand its booster shot program next month to people who have received the BioNTech vaccine here. So, uh, Dr. Liang, I know your expert committee will be meeting on Thursday to discuss the details. Looking at the current situation, what advice do you have uh, for the public? Should people get it as soon as possible or wait a while? I mean, how effective I- is a booster shot again? Omicron. Uh, I, I, I have no comments at the moment. I think we need to have a meeting first and look at all the data before we can uh, make any recommendations. Yeah, it appears that in other places uh, uh, the governments are pushing for the booster dose and it, it, I think this is the best that they can do uh, short of uh, social distancing and other uh, public health measures. 
Uh, and uh, for people who have got BioNTech, uh, do you think uh, their booster shots should uh, also be BioNTech? Is that the best match? Um, I think uh, uh, I think uh, there's no doubt that the BioNTech uh, give a, a good uh, antibody uh, levels, but I think there's still a lot of doubt about whether the booster, how how much protections the booster dose can provide and uh, against the Omicron. I think that's the, a lot of, still a lot of uncertainty. We don't have enough data at the moment. And uh, when the uh, booster shot program is expanded, uh, do you think it will be popular among people who've already had uh, two BioNTech uh, doses? Sorry, I, I couldn't catch, catch uh, your And question. when the government uh, uh, expands the booster shot program next month, uh, do you think it will be popular among people who already have two BioNTech shots? I cannot predict. I, I'm not sure because uh, I think uh, uh, the, um, uh, we need to know uh, more data about the uh, protection. And uh, what do you think of the general vaccination rate right now? It's still increasing at a slow pace, right? I, I think there are more people uh, getting the vaccines because uh, of the uh, uh, um, social restriction measures and uh, uh, they will certainly feel more convenient after they have uh, the vaccination. And uh, so do you think, I mean, to, to uh, further boost the vaccination rate, do you think it's a good idea that uh, the government has decided to uh, tighten the testing requirement for its uh, unvaccinated government staff uh, to make them get tested every three days instead of seven? Is that a good way to push them to get vaccinated? Uh, I won't go into the details of the uh, policy. Uh, I, I have to make a comment that I don't think we should just concentrate on the vaccine. <clears throat> in other places, uh, uh, vaccines is their only hope. But in Hong Kong, I think uh, social measures, um, uh, social distancing is still an important measure. And also, also to protect the virus from coming in, uh, the, um, the government has um, uh, um, tightened the measures to prevent the Omicron from coming into Hong Kong, into the community of Hong Kong. There are cases, but they are not into the community yet. I think we have to make every effort to protect our community, and uh, this is an important measure. Professor Cowling, what do you think? Sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether um, vaccination for, for younger people is, is key at the moment. For older people, I think it is. But given that we have a zero COVID approach in Hong Kong, uh, we don't have uh, cases expected in the coming months. If if things go to plan, we, if things really go to plan, we won't even have any cases in the coming year. And so the, a big push for vaccination in younger people, I'm not sure is warranted right now. But for older people, I think we do need it as a plan B in case the, the plan A fails, in case keeping COVID out of the community fails. And we do have a large community outbreak, then elderly are going to be the people that bear the brunt. We know that the majority of severe cases occur in people above the age of 50 and particularly in people above the age of 70 or 80. So those will be the absolute priority for vaccination campaigns. And in terms of third doses specifically in the United Kingdom, uh, and other parts of the world where they're really pushing third doses right now. This is in the context of high levels of transmission and third doses making an immediate impact and an immediate difference. Uh, what we haven't seen, what we have not yet seen, is the duration of protection from a third dose. So as Dr. Chan mentioned, two doses give you a good level of protection, which comes down over a, a period of months. To a, For Omicron, it's now maybe 20, 30 percent, um, but you can boost it back up to 75 percent with that third dose. But how long is that going to last for? Is that going to last for 
six months or a year or is it going to last for just a few months we don't know because there's no data on that but i'd be reluctant to to have a massive push for third doses now if we then discover in a few months time that that protection is is also going to decline at some rate and and within three to six months it's back down to 50 percent, and then it's going down again and then we need fourth doses if we have a an outbreak or we have a plan to reopen at, at that point so i think really to, to me vaccination strategy has to be tied to the timeline for ultimate reopening of Hong Kong and an ultimate end to the pandemic. And at the moment, it's not. So we're just using vaccines as a kind of as a, as a plan B backstop if plan A of zero COVID uh, has a breach. But what about drugs to cure COVID? We're focused on vaccine, but we also have cures, don't we now? In Hong Kong, we don't yet have the, the, the antiviral drugs that have been developed from, from uh, Roche and from MSD. And there's still a little bit of concern about the, the antiviral specifically from uh, sorry, from Pfizer, not from Roche, from Pfizer, um, because of its mode of action. Doctor, so I, Dr. Chen, what's your, as a doctor, what's your take on that? Yeah, because we have a zero, um, you know, a, a zero uh, uh, um, infection uh, tolerance in Hong Kong, uh, or policy like that, we don't have such patients. And that's why I think that's why the government had not yet imported these medicines into Hong Kong at all, because there's no demand, and there will not be demand if we still have the zero tolerance, and that is there will be no cases in Hong Kong. But of course, whenever there are cases and the uh, pandemic come back to life uh, with community spread, then of course the government would definitely have to import these drugs. And uh, from the scientific data that had been available, these drugs are very um, have the potential of uh, curbing the disease in the uh, individuals who got the infection. Um, but of course now at this stage we are still aiming at prevention and that is true. And that's why vaccination and also keeping the border clear from importing the cases to spread into the community. These are our important strategies now. But as uh, Benjamin had mentioned, if there are cases in the community, they are going to spread because uh, a significant proportion of our elderly uh, population also the children are not vaccinated and they don't have the immunity and uh, if there are cases there they could be very serious and we net definitely need the immediately need those drugs to cure those patients all right uh, dr chan i'm afraid that we're out of time we have to take a short break for the uh, news summary uh, thanks again i'm dr Liang, for joining us this morning and that's uh, dr raymond Liang, a member of the government's expert committee on covid 19 vaccines professor cowling and dr chan you'll be staying with us for a bit longer so we can continue our discussion after the news when we will also be joined by josie bristow the assistant marketing director of overlow hotels which offers quarantine accommodation and uh, just a reminder after 9.15, we'll be discussing the Pavilion Farm residential development. And uh, now a quick look at the weather. It'll be uh, cool in the morning, sunny intervals later with highs of around 21 degrees. Winds moderate north to northeasterlies. And uh, the outlook, rainy rain, rain patches in the next couple of days, becoming appreciably cooler early next week. Right now it's 18 degrees, relative humidity 81 <laughs> Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Anna Fenton and me, Janice Wong. If you have any questions or comments on today's topics, feel free to contact us. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Let's uh, go straight back to our discussion on COVID-19. Still with us in the studio is epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong and Dr. Alvin Chan, the co-chairman of the Advisory Committee 
Committee of Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. Also on the line with us now is Josie Bristow, the Assistant Marketing Director of Overlo Hotels that offers quarantine accommodation. And uh, she'll be joining with us. Uh, she'll be joining us very uh, in, in sh- uh, shortly. And uh, so uh, let's just continue with our discussion. Um, earlier, we talked about uh, the situation in the UK. And uh, uh, Professor Cowling, you're saying that it's uh, it seems to be quite serious. And uh, looking at their hospital admissions, is it worrying? I mean, if something, if there is a community outbreak in Hong Kong, will we be seeing a situation like that here? Uh, so c- certainly, I think if we would have an, an outbreak of Omicron in Hong Kong, we'd, we'd face a serious challenge because the, the firstly, the transmission is much, much stronger, much, much quicker. Uh, if you remember back to the early days of COVID, we had the reproductive number. The R number was two, mm. maybe two and a bit. And then it, uh, with Delta, it was up high. It was double that. It was probably five, four, five, even six. Omicron estimates seven to eight. So it could spread very, very fast in Hong Kong. That's very clear. Um, and and even at, at a lower severity level, even if it's half the severity, once you start having more and more cases, you still have a, a lot of people getting getting seriously ill. And as in Hong Kong, as we mentioned, the, the vaccine coverage in older adults is is so low that they they'd really face a major threat from an outbreak of Omicron locally. And uh, earlier before the news, uh, I did uh, ask uh, Dr. Liang about uh, uh, the government's uh, plan or the government's decision and to um, sh- uh, introduce uh, more frequent testing for um, civil servants who haven't had uh, their COVID vaccination. Uh, they'll have to be tested every three days instead of seven days. Is, is that a good way to uh, push um, government staff to get vaccinated? Uh, I, I really like the principle of uh, rewarding people for behaviours that you like. And I'm not so keen on the idea of punishing people for behaviours that you don't like. But this is more of a punishment uh, for people who don't who choose not to get vaccinated at a time when they don't face any personal risk of, of getting COVID. And for a younger person where where the vaccination may not make much difference ultimately to their chance of ending up in hospital with COVID. Remember, in Hong Kong, anybody with COVID gets hospitalised anyway. Uh, but but the chance of getting severe, severely ill with COVID. Um, and of course, we, what we've seen around the world is that people who've been vaccinated, even with three doses, can still get infected. So it's not like the, the maybe a year ago when it was clear that vaccines reduce transmission. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Israel, the, the, their wave of, of COVID was ended by a high vaccine coverage because of the effect of vaccines on transmission in that outbreak. But Delta and then Omicron are able to break through uh, the protection against infection provided by vaccines. So I, I, I can't quite see the rationale in terms of saying that vaccinated people don't have to test, but unvaccinated people do. If you're worried about having an outbreak in the, in the government office, everyone should be tested. And it, it just seems to me like a punishment. All right, uh, let's uh, go to uh, Josie Bristow now, the Assistant Marketing Director of Overlo Hotels that offers quarantine accommodation. And good morning, Ms. Bristow. Good morning. How well, are you? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome to the program. So, so first of all, can you tell us how many of your hotels are currently offering quarantine accommodation, and what's the booking situation like over the Christmas period? Sure. Overlo Hotels has four properties in Hong Kong, uh, two of which are quarantine hotels. Um, obviously, Christmas is a big. Uh, peak time for us, but with the latest changes, we've seen a little bit of a decrease. Uh, we usually are almost at full house over Christmas time. But uh, for, is that for during the for the quarantine hotels? Yeah, we're talking correct, about them. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Josie, can you explain something to me? I'm hearing about the reseller. Been trying to negotiate quarantine myself, and you, you seem to be buying either direct from the hotel or the reseller. What's going on here? There seems to be a, a, a shadow market in this quarantine thing going on. 
Uh, reselling for us is actually something we're not allowed to facilitate in. We're obviously only allowed to accept direct bookings from customers. Um, obviously, if there are changes due to government changes or travel restrictions, we're obviously always ha more than happy to complimentary change people's uh, bookings. But yeah, if it's reselling, we're, we're unable to help there. So what is going on with that? What do you perceive? Because this it seems to be rife. Yeah, I think, look, it's, it's everyone is just trying to get home for Christmas. People are uh, letting go of rooms so other people are picking them up. Um, so if that happens, um, I guess, out of the out of the hotel's knowledge, then we just have to accept the, the name change and, and move forward. But there is obviously a need to get home, and that's what people are, are trying to achieve. So you do accept renamed bookings then? It, it depends, honestly. We, we don't obviously uh, accept people to straight out say we'd like to change to this person, but if it's, it's, it's a desperate situation, Overlook Hotels always wants to help Hong Kongers return home, so we'll do everything we can. So Josie, um, with the government adding the UK to the highest uh, risk category, have you received many requests to uh, change bookings yet? Uh, no, actually we haven't as of yet. Um, obviously that um, came out as of yesterday. Uh, a lot of the people are just trying to change their dates at the moment. As you can imagine, there's a high volume of people. Um, but I think we end up being about 120 guests just purely for Ovo that need to change their dates yesterday. So yesterday was just understanding when people are going to be returning and seeing what's availability on our book. So uh, what, what were they changing? That they were rescheduling their whole trip or their return yeah, date or what? Yeah, yeah. So usually at the moment... I guess travel's a little bit backwards these days. You book your quarantine hotel before you book your flight. So people generally just uh, ask us when we have availability. Um, so I guess fit around the four days they have to spend in Penny Bay and then they change their flights accordingly. And uh, the number of imported Omicron cases in Hong Kong has uh, increased to uh, 27. How concerned are you? I mean, have you been stepping up infection control measures at your hotels? Overload has always taken, um, I guess, uh, social distancing as its utmost priority. We released a campaign called OCDC at the very start two years ago. Um, we abide by all the government regulations um, and we try and ensure that, you know, guest safety is the utmost priority to us, so of course. And uh, Ms. Uh, Bristow, I mean, um, Dr. Uh, Professor Cowling, first of all, um, what do you think? I mean, is it, I mean, because you're, you're earlier you were saying that Omicron is more transmissible, what's the risk of uh, um, this uh, of Omicron being uh, transmitted as in, at quarantine hotels? Well, fortunately, the incubation period for Omicron seems to be shorter than for Delta. That there's some emerging evidence on that. So I'm imagining the majority of Omicron cases that we pick up in Hong Kong are going to be picked up on arrival or within the first four days when people are at Penny's Bay. Relatively few are going to be picked up after that so this this will have a lower risk but i am concerned because we've had very few omicron cases picked up in quarantine hotels so far i think you mentioned at the beginning of the show it was 20 something cases but i think only one one or two of those have been picked up in quarantine <coughs> hotels the rest are on arrival or in penny's bay and there was one transmission event already in our quarantine hotel of omicron so it, it certainly poses a risk and remember that when transmission occurs in a quarantine hotel if it's to another guest most likely that guest is still going to be there for a while because the average stay is, is now 17 days. Um, but if it does happen and the person's on their last day, when, they, when the transmission occurs, they'll be out in the community uh, at the point when they develop, develop symptoms and become contagious. Now, the uh, Centre for Health Protection, it says that uh, if an Omicron case is detected at a quarantine hotel, people who stay in rooms adjacent and opposite to the rooms of the uh, patient will be asked to get tested every day for seven days. Do you think that's uh, enough? Well, I, I, in one sense, I'm glad that those, uh, th those um, travellers are not required to, to extend their stay in quarantine for another 21 days because that has happened in the past 
and I think it's, it's tough for those people because it's not their fault at all. They stayed in the hotel that was that was designated by the government and, and so on. But on the other hand, there is this risk that if there's a case detected, that the, the transmission would have occurred. And I'm not sure why they limit it to the, the room opposite and next door, because the, those are not the only rooms at risk. So what, what do you think it should be expanded to? Uh, well, so I, I, I think we've seen from other parts of the world that transmission is possible through open windows. So any guess, if, if that guest who had Omicron had an open window, then any other guests who had open windows or any other people in the vicinity uh, would be at risk of that. Um, and, and I don't think that the transmission is limited to, to transmitting across the corridor. I think it, it would depend on the airflow. So uh, I go back to my earlier point that I think we do much better with a purpose-built facility. Then we wouldn't have all of these concerns and travelers could, could rest assured that once they serve their time in the quarantine, they are able to, to get back into the community safely. Okay, Dr. Chan, uh, what's your, um, do you have any concerns about uh, the uh, transmission, um, the possible transmission of Omicron at uh, quarantine hotels? Yes, uh, because those hotels are um, made for tourists or for people living there casually and not a purposeful, uh, purpose-built um, uh, quarantined centres. And so uh, I think uh, there are chances, of course, uh, of spread not just to the people at the room opposite to the one that's infected. So at least the whole corridor could be um, uh, dangerous. And uh, I, I would think uh, also the um, buses uh, that carry the, um, the vehicles that carry the um, uh, travelers from the uh, Panama Bay's um, to the other designated hotels, people on the same vehicle, including the driver, could also be infected. And so these are the loopholes that we must plug, otherwise there would be spread in the community. And whenever there is a beginning of a spread in the community, it could spread very fast because this virus strain is so, so transmissible. And so I think we have to be very careful about plugging these loopholes. Josie, after listening to uh, what the experts have been saying, are you concerned? Look, we always do our best at Overload. We've obviously uh, accepted to be a quarantine hotel from the very beginning, and it's something that we always strive to do our very best at. Um, I guess the, the new variant is a lot more, I guess, speedy and feisty compared to the other ones, but we always uh, abide by the government and take their regulations and advice on board and do the best that we can. At the end of the day, we are a hotelier group. We understand that, um, but we're just trying to serve the people of Hong Kong as best we can. Has it been difficult to adjust to changes in the government's quarantine measures? Oh, of course. But look, everything we always consider is a challenge and we're happy to take it on board. We figured every single update and regulation change that they make is, you know, as lots of fast a conversation and experience and research has gone into it. So we just respect that their wishes and continue to move forward. Um, the guests are our utmost priority. All right. And uh, I have a email here for, it says that it's uh, for Professor Cowling and uh, I guess uh, Dr. Chan as well. It says it's from Leon. It says, uh, yesterday I tried to book a third Biontech shot for a domestic helper who is under 60, but there didn't appear to be a section under which she is eligible. The government site allows for people under 60 who have had the Sinovac vaccine to get a third shot, but not if they receive the Biontech one. Why is this the case? And uh, what if the domestic helper is caring for an elderly person who has had his third Biontech shot? It doesn't make sense for the elderly employer to have had his booster, but that the domestic helper is ineligible. 
Or can I apply for the domestic helpers booster under the category workers at increased risk for exposure and because of occupational setting? Please advise. That's from Leon. Uh, you, could, you could try ticking that box or you could try ticking the box that she's got an underlying medical condition. But I think in, in Hong Kong, the policy for now is that the people with two doses of BioNTech are not recommended to get their third dose yet. There may be a, dis, a, a change in that policy after Christmas. Um, but it does make sense to, to offer the booster program for the people who receive Sinovac first, because for, for the people who receive the inactivated vaccine first, the antibodies have come down to a much lower level much more quickly. And so that's the priority to, to do the boosters for those. Um, but I, yeah, I think w- wait for a couple more weeks and then, and then I think the policy may have changed. Yes, I, I agree that, uh, in fact, domestic helpers caring for an elderly to me, falls into the category of uh, healthcare uh, professional. Or, or, uh, he, uh, that uh, domestic helper under the age of 60 must be a health um, carer by profession in that case. But, uh, but I, I do think that the government perhaps could really change their policy now to allow people to get the third dose, uh, uh, regardless of uh, the categorization of their needs. All right, I have another, just a one, one uh, final question before, before I let you both go. go. Um, this one is uh, from Dennis. He says, if the virus is so easy to spread, does, is it worth the effort to keep it out? Why can't we just let it in as uh, it will um, come eventually? Well, that, that's the, the basic, the, the concept adopted in Singapore with their strategy where they had the zero COVID approach for a year or more. And then they said once vaccine coverage is high enough, they can't keep the virus out forever. So they're going to control what happens. They're going to have the vaccine coverage as high as possible, even with third doses. And they're going to step by step reduce their public health measures until eventually uh, they don't need any more public health measures and and COVID numbers have reduced to a low level. In Hong Kong, we could follow that strategy. We could adopt that, that strategy. But right now, the government have said their priority is keeping COVID out. So we can have a travel bubble with the mainland and so we protect public health in Hong Kong. I can understand those reasons, but it means that, that there's no plan to, to let COVID spread in Hong Kong anytime soon. I, I, I do think that um, in the long term that might be the fact we have to face, but at the meantime, we don't have enough um, protection for the uh, over 80 years of age group uh, with only 20% of vaccination rate. When we open the border and then uh, these group of people would be very vulnerable, as well as children, because now even the children could be infected uh, with also serious consequences as well. So unless we could have the uh, vaccination coverage in these two age groups uh, to to get over 70%, I think it is quite risky now. But of course, even in Singapore, in Australia or in UK, they try to live coexist with the virus, but then they still have to, uh, once in a while, they also have to change the policy again to restrict uh, or to uh, limit the border and then limit the social distancing, etc. I think so it is not absolute. It's some of the relative things to, to amend.
All right, uh, we'll have to leave it here for now. But uh, many thanks, as always, to Professor Benjamin Cowling, the head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health, and uh, Dr. Alvin Chan, the co-chairman of the Advisory Committee of Communicable Diseases at the Hong Kong Medical Association. Also, many thanks to Josie Bristow, the Assistant Marketing Director from Overlo Hotels. It's uh, now 19 minutes past nine, and it's time to turn to our final topic today. And that's the Pavilion Farm Residential development in Taiwan, where around 5% of samples taken from two blocks there failed to meet the required concrete strength. This comes after an earlier announcement in July that Tower 1 and 8 of Pavilion Farm 3 will be demolished and rebuilt, as the concrete base of its walls failed to reach standard requirements. To comment on this, we are now joined by structural engineer Kevin Tang. Good morning, Mr. Tang. Good morning, host. Good morning. Thanks uh, for joining us on the program. So, in your view, how serious is this latest problem, and is it rare? Oh, uh, according to the BD press release. Uh, uh, there are approximately 5% of the samples lower than the specified grade strength as shown on the upper of the building plan. Uh, it should be still safe unless it's graded below the specified value. It implies the margin of safety is uh, reduced, and that is why the project building professional proposed uh, relevant strengthening works. So what do you think might have gone wrong? Uh, uh, I cannot uh, uh, speculate uh, because... Uh, uh, has not released more information than the uh, press I have a comment on our Facebook page. Um, it's from Henry. He says uh, that um, concrete strength below standard is nothing new in Hong Kong. I remember a similar case occurred at the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge, bridge provided the uh, discrepancy is very small. I think that it's acceptable. Um, what's your response? Is that true, Mr. Chang? Uh, that's correct. Uh, concrete is considered not up to standard when the compression test of the concrete cubes in 28 days not meeting the specified above values and approved the grade. But when this happens, uh, uh, we can carry out concrete cores and taking from the structure and carry out compressive tests and to verify the strength. So it's uh, nothing, it's not that new in Hong Kong. It does happen um, occasionally? It, it happens occasionally. And what does it actually mean to the structure and the integrity of the building? Okay, if if uh, if the concrete cube test does not meet the requirement, and further claim concrete cores can prove it is meets the requirement, is still uh, up to the standards. And uh, the building's department uh, says that although the samples uh, fail to meet the specified strength as, so, as shown uh, on the building plans approved by them, there is no obvious structural danger. And the uh, developer, New World Development, stressed that the two towers affected were confirmed to be structurally safe following assessment by registered structural engineers. Do you think that's enough? I mean, what more needs to be done to make sure it's safe or, or help allay some people's concern over its safety? Okay, uh they have already, I think their building professionals have carried out the investigation. And, and that 5% of sample is already an investigation after the compression, after the core test. And, and that is the, the outcome. And the 5% sample indicating uh, only below the factor of safety. I believe that the, the, the building professional is taking care of it. So at what point would you have to demolish the building and start again? Okay, uh, you, uh, it, unless the Unless the concrete value is uh, a lot below the specified value, uh, there's no need to demolish the building. Uh, again, um, uh, demolishing the building or strengthening the building is optional. If it works, it's up to the uh, building professional to decide.
sky. How, how low does it have to be? Uh, I, I cannot I cannot say because it depends on the on the uh, on the location of the defective concrete and depends on the percentage of the the value below the values and depends on on how large extent is so it, it all depends. I mean, although you're saying that uh, an investigation is uh, underway, I mean, people who actually um, bought one of the flats there would probably still be concerned. I mean, what advice do you have for them? Oh, can you repeat the question? I'm saying uh, you're saying that an investigation is underway into the um, situation, but uh, of yes. course, uh, mm -hmm. people who actually bought flats from uh, that uh, um, development is probably still very concerned. What advice do you have for property owners of Pavilion Farm? I believe uh, the, build, uh, the building is under control of the building department and building professional. So after the investigation and verification work, I believe there's no concern. Okay. The building will be safe when they deliver to the owner. And uh, are there any um, other past uh, situations where, where something like that has happened before? Well, during construction, again, like we mentioned before, sometimes the concrete may may not achieve the specified values and there's some remedial works they, they need to be replaced or they need to be strengthened. So it, it, it's, it's quite, uh, it's not, not, it's quite common. It's not, okay, it's occasional happens. Can, can you give us some examples in the past just to remind us? Our past example is similar because uh, when, when we're building construction, the concrete grade do not achieve the specified values and then concrete need to demolish and reconstruct. So it, uh, it happens occasionally. So this is called tofu construction, isn't it? Tofu concrete. No, I don't. I don't think that's the correct term. Yeah. Well, it's it's the slang term for it, isn't it? So if <laughs> okay. you've bought a flat and you've put all your savings into it and you find it's it's defective, do you have the right to get a refund and say no, thank you, I don't accept it at this level? I uh, I think they do not will not deliver defective assets to the owners. So that's not very reassuring, is it, for a property investor? Uh, they have the building professional looking after the job. I believe that and the building department have stringent, stringent controls. I believe that when the building is, uh, is obtained occupation permit, they will be structurally safe. Well, structurally safe. Oh, what ISO standard are they held to these days? You mean the building standard? Yeah. Well, it's all up to the building uh, regulation and building modern standards. In Hong Kong. And uh, do you think the government needs to, uh, uh, I don't know, work with uh, developers more in this area to, to take more samples and make sure buildings are safe? Uh, uh, the building is under the government control mechanism. So the our building department already has a stringent control on, on the, doing the concrete quality uh, checks and, and like they have they require the general building contractor and the building professional to appoint technical competent person to qualify supervision concrete works and building department also periodically carry out their audit checks to site and carry out their rebound hammer test themselves so if they are doing these tests how come these ones slip through the net um i i i cannot speculate that because then maybe there's the time so should 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 we have trust and confidence in Hong Kong developers to deliver buildings to the standard that we expect? Okay, uh, as building professional, we have trust in the government and the developer because it's all under a uh, building ordinance and building department control mechanism. So what's really going wrong here? Is it people not testing often enough or someone's taken their eye off the cement mixer or what's really going on here? 
I I do not know uh, the the reason because it's still under the building department investigation. But what are the possibilities? Uh, I I I still do not know the reason. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've said uh, this problem has happened in the past, but in in cases in the past, I mean, what's usually the main reason for the problem? Uh, the, uh, during in the past, it's still and the building works is still under construction, so it it, it has it has discovered during the, uh, the construction work and it is rectified uh, before they report completion. Yeah, it doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence, though, does it? Would you buy a building in an estate like this? Uh, uh, buy a, a flat in an estate like this? If the building is uh, properly uh, uh, built and checked and certified by building professional, I do not see any, there's any sort of concern. But do you think after what's been happening at Pavilion Farm, do you think uh, it would affect the, uh, the, the property price there? Uh, I do not. I cannot comment on this property file. I'm a structural engineer. <laughs> Is it your impression that building standards are getting better in Hong Kong over the years? Because there have been some allegations of shonky construction going back the 30 years I've been here. Is it your perception that things, the standards are improving? Yes, of course. Uh, building uh, construction standards are developing every year. And building department and governments and always upgrade their standards and put and up to the international uh, standards. So overall, uh, over this uh, pavilion farm um, situation, you don't think there is anything uh, people really should uh, be uh, concerned about then? Okay, again, uh, this is uh, uh, occasional happens on concrete quality stuff, and then people should review the case and see uh, what what has been going wrong and see any improvement to be carried on the concrete supervisions. So, so would you say pe some people may be overreacting? Uh, uh, I don't, I, I don't think so because uh, it, it, it's normal to to when something happens and then you review and see how anything can be removed. All right. Uh, I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, oh, yes. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, thank you again for joining mm -hmm. us this morning. That's uh, Kevin Tang, a structural engineer who is also the honorary uh, treasurer of the Hong Kong Institute of Engineers. Also, um, many thanks to all of you who commented through email and our Facebook page. And uh, thank you to my co-hosts, Anna and uh, Yuki, our producer. Now, here's the weather. Uh, cool in the morning, sunny intervals later with highs of around 21 degrees. Winds moderate north to northeasterlies. And the outlook, rain patches in the next couple of days, becoming cold appreciably early next week, with uh, the temperature falling below 12 degrees. And uh, right now, it's uh, 18 degrees, relative humidity 80%. Global warming results in extreme weather. Heat waves bring hotter and stuffier summers. Recurrent warm nights make it difficult to sleep. Super typhoons and heavy rain strike. Heavy rainstorms pose threats to slopes and lowlands. These are not movie synopses. High carbon emissions caused by human activity lead to global warming and unprecedented extreme weather. We need to reduce carbon emissions immediately to slow down global warming and achieve carbon neutrality. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Roundtable lawmaker Michael Chien has disagreed with Ronnie Tong's comments that people who didn't vote should bear some responsibility for the failure of non-establishment candidates. 
The director of elderly services of an NGO partnering with the Jockey Club says the free phone plan, which will distribute 20,000 phones to underprivileged people aged 65 and above, will allow recipients to better connect with society. And health authorities have announced that they're stepping up testing requirements at quarantine hotels. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Andrew. Very good morning to you. Uh, this is James Ross on the Morning Brew in for Phil again today. Three days and counting. Have you done your prep? Uh, we'll get in the festive spirit some more today anyway.
from face value. Uh, Phil Collins, I missed again, 1981. Uh, yes, James Ross in for Phil today again on The Brew. And with three days left and counting, we'll be joined this morning live from New York uh, by our friend, singer-songwriter Nell Bryden, who's got a